Hello, my name is Claire and you are listening to the Hypno Birthing Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to season six of the Hypnobirthing Podcast. I hope everyone's been doing well. We have had a little bit of a break, but we are back now with a brand new season and I'm really excited because I have got some amazing, exciting guests and episodes lined up for you. In today's episode, the first episode of our new season, I am joined by Dr. Elliot Berlin. Elliot is an award-winning prenatal chiropractor. He is a childbirth educator, a labor doula, a podcaster, and co-founder of the Berlin Wellness Group, which is actually located in Los Angeles in California, which is where he lives and also where he practices. He also has a, an amazing podcast called Informed Pregnancy and a new platform called Informed Pregnancy Plus, which he will talk to you a little bit about in the episode, but it is a great resource for finding great videos, documentaries and content around birth. I chatted today to Dr. Elliot about VBACs, so vaginal birth after cesarean, a really, really important topic, and he has a wealth of experience and knowledge on the subject, so it was really, really interesting to chat to him about his experiences and his advice on achieving a VBAC. I will play the episode for you now. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. If you would kindly introduce yourself to my listeners. Hi, Claire. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Elliot Berlin. I'm a, a chiropractor and a massage therapist and a doula and a childbirth educator and a filmmaker. Everything um, surrounding pregnancy, birth and postpartum, um, sometimes a little bit earlier, like so fertility and a little bit later, like parenting. But um, that's the crux of what I do and what our practice is about. My wife is a psychologist. We practice together. So she's also working with that same population. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we have a practice in Los Angeles where we do services for this, uh, population for growing families. And, uh, as a result of everything that I learned and everything that I'm, I'm asked on a regular basis, we started to sort of branch out into more of a media element so that we can help compile information and deliver it to people when they have, important decisions to make and um, to try to help them make it from a more empowered place, a more informed place. So that's where our whole platform and informed pregnancy comes. That's me in a nutshell. Amazing. Thank you. I mean, it's amazing. The work you're doing is is incredible. And I often say it on here, but I feel like a lot of women these days are, are very lucky in the respect that we have so much information available to us now and we have so many amazing people like yourself who is out there providing that information for people so that they can you know they can make these informed choices and they can educate themselves as much as possible and I really feel like that's such a a privilege that we have now um so thank you so much for for everything that you do and we were just talking about because you're also a podcaster and I um I've been listening to some of your podcasts which I'm really enjoying you have a very nice relaxing voice don't know whether anyone anyone <laughs> ever tells you. you that but it's, it's kind of oh. nice that like, when you're listening to to things I think about um pregnancy and childbirth you want a nice kind of nice calming voice don't you so it's been really lovely to listen to and just so factual and so interesting um so again yeah thank you for that and I'll leave um I'll leave all of your details anyway for people so they can check you out 
Now you have a wealth of experience and knowledge, but today I want to talk to you about VBAC specifically. Um, I have got a couple of previous episodes on this podcast talking about VBACs and I've got a VBAC birth story on here, but I think it's one of those things that is becoming maybe slightly more talked about and slightly more popular. I think many more women are seeing it as a legitimate option in terms of giving birth, which is great. So it's really important. And you're somebody that I think it, it will be so interesting to hear your experience on VBACs and what you have to say about them. So I'm really excited to have a chat to you about it today. So if we can just start by talking about what is a VBAC, what does it mean? What is it? We'll go from there. Sure. So VBAC, VBAC stands for vaginal birth after cesarean. And uh, really what, what happens is after you have a cesarean birth, your next birth and all subsequent births, you have a couple of choices. You can have a repeat cesarean or you can aim for a vaginal birth. And uh, that is, here we call it trial of labor after cesarean, TOLAC. Um, and if you're successful, then you've had a vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, you know, for a long time in here in the States, uh, it, it was not really available um, to large swaths of people. The uh, notion that once a C-section, always a C-section was sort of prevalent. And the thought was, um, just popular thought on the street was that if you have a cesarean birth uh, and you try to have a vaginal birth after that, that that's something that's inherent with uh, a lot of danger and uh, not worthwhile to do. Uh, also, regulation-wise um, or policy-wise, uh, the recommendations on the books were not favorable for providers, doctors, midwives, and hospitals to offer VBAC. It came with a lot of liability. So when you look at risk, you have to look at uh, two things in healthcare. One is the risk to the patient, which is medical risk, and one is risk to the provider, which is liability. And they're not always in direct alignment with each other. So just because my risk goes up as a provider doesn't mean that your risk goes up as a patient. However, me as an individual human provider has to make decisions. Um, and one of the things that's generally important to providers is what's best for our patients. However, it's not the only factor. And so liability is on all of our minds as well, trying to do, sort of practice defensive healthcare, in their case, defensive medicine, and uh, not do things that are too risky. So if you have two choices on how to get this baby out, one's a repeat cesarean and one's a, uh, trying for a VBAC, the provider might be influenced by the fact that the VBAC could carry more liability for them. Um, and so that's, I, I think, why it's really important to know, you know, as an individual who's going to be the subject of all these uh, medical treatments to to know what the options are and to understand the data and the pros and cons as we know them so that you can be a strong decision maker, a strong part of that decision-making team for your own, uh, your own healthcare choices. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard, isn't it? Because we're so conditioned to take what any kind of medical profession professional says as that being kind of fact or that being the best option really that's just how we're conditioned isn't it but I think the way you've explained it is so true that they're often focusing on their you know their as you said their risks 
to them as a professional or to, I mean, particularly here in the UK, to the larger kind of healthcare system that we have here, which they're trying to protect um, and things like that. So they're maybe focusing more on that aspect. And we have to, as our own people and, uh, you know, taking control of our own our own pregnancy our own, and our own birth, we have to look at what those risks mean for us as, as women giving birth, don't we? And yeah, try and separate it. It's very interesting because now that, uh, so we have a platform called Informed Pregnancy Plus, which is streaming content, video streaming content with documentaries and web series and all sorts of other content. And I'm really, through that program, now more in touch with childbirth professionals around the world. And the problems that I originally thought were U.S.-based problems um, are not. They're sort of global. And uh, I, I didn't realize, like, you could have the same same exact stories and episodes and and experiences that women are having in the u.s they're having in other places and i thought in you know sort of like in the uk where you have socialized medicine it wouldn't be the same situation but uh seemingly you know seemingly it is and it's hard to have access to to a vpac um and then still in the united states even though they there was a big symposium in 2010 national institute of health got together a whole bunch of researchers um providers practitioners clinicians and they all you know were vetted to not really have uh, other interests, you know, to be purely just looking at data. And, um, and, and their conclusion after their symposium was that not enough women that, that VBAC in general is, is an obstetric risk that's in line with other obstetric risks that are taken all the time. And for most women, it should be made more available. And since then, some changes have taken place. It is, I, my observation is more available um, to a small degree. But, you know, I'm in Los Angeles where you have a lot of choices. If you go even 10 miles out of Los Angeles, the choices dry up very quickly. And there are, again, huge swaths of this country where people have to drive or fly uh, long distances to find a provider who will even entertain the idea. So I was listening, actually, to your episode. I think it was one of your first ones on your podcast, which was about feedbacks and it was a while ago um was it 2015 2016 maybe Ooh, um uh, so a while ago okay that's when our film came out about feedback so maybe okay yeah. so and you were saying that um in the u.s many hospitals just kind of ban the feedback is that still the case in the u.s or has it has it come along at all in the last kind of eight years um, it's come along a little bit, but there there are still hospitals that ban VBAC. Um, and if they don't ban it, it's it's banned anyway because there's no providers there who will offer it. So even if it's not written into the official p hospital policy, it's still not possible to get one. Yes, there are definitely it's still a huge issue, um, and there there are in Los Angeles where I live, I think more choices for VBAC than there were at that time. But um, again, you just go a little bit out of here and uh, and the choices disappear. So it's just leaving people with no options really, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're pretty, here in the, in the UK, I think it's slightly different. Like, as you said, we still do have, we are over-medicalized. And I think sometimes, 
you would look at our system, as you said, and think we would be the opposite. And we are, you know, we do have parts of our system that we are very lucky to have. We have, you know, home birth, which is very easily accessible for most women um, and things like that, which is great. And I do think that that is a benefit. But at the same time, we do have a, a, a problem with over medicalization of things as well. And it goes back to this kind of issue of being responsible and, and you know, being being sued or being blamed uh, by people if something doesn't quite go to plan. So everyone's obviously covering covering themselves at all costs, which I kind of get as well to a certain extent, um, which is why I think it's so what, what we do in trying to educate women is so important because, you know, we understand why healthcare professionals maybe are are trying to save their, you know, their jobs, whether that's right or wrong um, in what they're recommending. But that's why we have to educate people so much to say it doesn't, necessarily mean they're correct in what they're saying and you still have a choice you know you can still I mean over here we're people can still say no I, you know I want a back, and usually uh, you might have to fight a bit but usually that would end up being supported um, so that that's where maybe it differs slightly so in terms of a VBAC what are some of the main concerns what are the, some of the main risks that we worry about if attempting a VBAC yeah, uh, yeah, let's talk about that. But but just one quick point on what you just said. The very, very yeah, interesting thing about not having access to VBAC or a VBAC ban is what you're, what you're saying is you're banning the absence of a procedure to give birth, mm. right? All, all I want to do is come in. I've had a C-section. I'm pregnant again. I'm healthy. Uh, I just want to go into labor and have my baby. But but by banning VBAC, you're saying, no, we will not let you have your baby without this medical procedure, without the surgical procedure. That's so and true. That's that's very un-American. <laughs> it, it's, for, it's forcing, uh, yeah, a procedure on somebody, isn't it, when they don't necessarily need or want it. Right, exactly. So uh, the idea of VBAC ban is sort of mind-blowing. Um, yeah, so the issue is when you have a cesarean birth, uh, we're removing the baby abdominally and so there's incisions there's the incision that you see and feel on your skin but then there's uh incisions below that and one of them is into the uterus itself to open the uterus and and get the baby out and then those incisions are all closed back up however the scar tissue that forms in the uterus is not exactly the same as the original tissue that was there and now there's a weakness there and um, that can create lots of different issues one of them is even with fertility or conception and uh, how a baby if a baby implants into that tissue um, how that might not uh, function the way it's it it should normally or how when the placenta implants into there um, it could implant improperly and sort of grow through the layers. Um, so those risks go up just in, in fertility and pregnancy. But for birth, what we're worried about is when the pressure of labor builds up inside the womb, uh, will that scar, that sort of weakened area of the uterus, be able to hold it together? Or will there be a separation at that scar and opening at that scar, which could be uh, a dangerous complication. So uh, the unfortunate term used for it is uter uterine rupture. It's um, so nice. <laughs> <laughs> the scar separation 
sounds a whole lot better but um that's that's the concern and uh last data i saw on an otherwise healthy pregnancy and not induced is about one half of one percent chance of that happening and uh, if it happens and you catch it then it becomes an emergency cesarean and uh typically things go well but there is risk of of bad things happening like you losing the uterus and or losing the baby which are extremely uncommon but um you know that's the that's the risk the main risk that we're looking at and um it was weird because there was a period of time where v-bags weren't really happening because of that once a c-section always a c-section concept and then insurance companies here in the u.s because cesarean birth was so much more expensive started to say hey we're not going to pay for another c-section if you don't need one you should try to give birth vaginally and uh, the cesarean, this is the vaginal birth after cesarean rate started to go up um, sizably to almost 25%. And then in around the 90s, uh, uteruses just started popping open left and right. And hospitals uh, and insurance carriers were sued for having sort of pushed these women into having uh, a vaginal birth. And uh, nobody sort of looked to see why, why were all of a sudden universes popping open, but uh, they were, there were astronomic settlements uh, with the lawsuits. And so insurance companies went the other way. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. okay, we're not, we're not dealing with that. Uh, vaginal birth after cesarean is dangerous. We'll just have another C-section. So it, which is more controlled and doesn't have that risk. So all of a sudden, the numbers plummeted down to like 4%. Uh, do, they, do they know why? Do they know why that suddenly started happening with the... Yeah, they started inducing. They started inducing oh, right. uh, medications that's, you know... Um, like a synthetic oxytocin, yeah. But, yeah, well, Pitocin also, but Pitocin is, is sort of more controllable. It's a, it's a drip with a short half-life, so... Um, you can sort of control it and ease your way into making the uterus contract more strongly, observing, seeing how the body reacts, how the uterus reacts, the baby reacts, the mom reacts. Um, but then they were using medications that just dissolve. Um, and uh, once once that medication dissolves, you can't really control it anymore. So if you have uterine hypercontractions, right, if there's a stronger response than expected to it, there's no way to... to to really control that, no fine tuning, and um, the intensity of those contractions and hyperstimulation is more than a scar perhaps can handle, and so that's why the big increase in scar separations. Uh, you know, so now the doctors that I know that do VBAC that attend vaginal breach after cesarean don't generally induce unless you're very close they'll just use a little pitocin and get over the edge but they don't generally induce and they certainly don't induce with cytotech the uh, dissolvable drug yeah i'd say that was from my experience from what i've heard from people who have experienced a VBAC over here that would be similar if they avoid the the chemical induction and opt for if an induction was was needed and necessary they would opt for a mechanical induction which is obviously without um 
hormones involved mm-hmm. as it can be managed more um as you were saying so then the rates completely plummeted and i guess that's kind of where we still are now is it in the it had that huge you know rise and then it went back down and i guess that scared people even more into opting again for another cesarean and we're just still clawing our way back from well, that the, i guess the recommendation here we have a group called ACOG, the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. ACOG makes recommendations for obstetricians and gynecologists, uh, largely to protect them, generally also to protect uh, women and babies. But if they, if they're at odds, the one that they're obligated to protect their charter to protect is the obstetricians and gynecologists. So uh, they came out with a recommendation that said. Uh, Vaginal birth after cesarean should only be attempted in a facility with a physician readily available. So um, they didn't exactly say what kind of facility. Uh, Does this have to be a hospital? Could it be a birth center attached to a hospital? Can it be an out-of-hospital birth center? Um, and, And physician also isn't exactly clear. Is that the obstetrician who's the surgeon, but uh, is it also anesthesiologists? Um, and then readily available is the most vague, which is how how long is readily available? Uh, and so, you know, hospitals and doctors who are, are trying to protect themselves, and you can't blame them for that, sort of self-define that as uh, within 30 minutes. You know, you've got to, you've got to have a team ready to go within 30 minutes and be able to do a cesarean within 30 minutes. So that was pretty limiting to a lot of hospitals um, who can't do that necessarily. Small town hospitals that don't do that many births, for example. And then they changed one word uh, in a, in a subsequent update and the word went from readily to immediately available. Wow. And if also vague, and if readily means within 30 minutes, what's immediately available? <laughs> and so that became self-defined as you you can't you shouldn't do a VBAC unless the physician, and again, if you're gonna if you're gonna define it in the most protective way, means both a surgeon and anesthesiologist. So the physicians are in the facility where this labor is taking place. And that just really became unattainable for most hospitals, I would say, yeah. in the United States. They have you know, to be ready have, to go, don't they, as well? Like, they have to yeah, be... If you don't do a high volume or you don't have residents there all the time, then what doctor is going to want to stick around, or a hospitalist, what doctor is going to want to stick around the entire time that their patient is in labor to do, yeah. you know, rather than coming in for the 30, 45 minutes at the end? And to do a birth that also carries more liability and by nature doesn't pay as well. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it just wasn't happening. That's that's where the real plummets came from, those guidelines and recommendations. And again, after the, the two, 2010 NIH symposium, uh, those recommendations were relaxed a, a bit. I mean, it came down with uh, guidelines that were that sort of tried to make VBEC more accessible by by way of guideline. Um, and it's slowly sort of trickly kind of happening, but it's it's not, not in any sizable numbers. In fact, when we had our film called Trial of Labor, we had interviewed four women who were pregnant and they had 
only had previous cesarean birth, one or two, uh, and, and now they're pregnant again and on a journey for a more empowered birth experience. And originally, my filmmaking partner and I just sort of did a, a, a call who would like who who is pregnant that previously had cesarean birth only and would would like to just share your story just by way of doing a little research we weren't planning to make a movie we're like is there a story here to tell and after we interviewed these four women it was like we must tell this story and it was like they're all pregnant they're all in their late second early third trimester you have very little time to organize plan raise funds make a film but the 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 time was moving quick and we just decided we just have to capture whatever we can we just have to go push ourselves get the equipment get the story and and we'll weave it together afterwards which is what we did but when the nih sort of came out with these new guidelines and the acog came out with their new guidelines we're like oh maybe the problem solved we don't even have to make this film and now 10 years later it's still very much an issue the way it was before so word still needs to get out and people still need to know you know i i don't know risk is a very interesting thing it's sort of like what kind of risks or cons will i take in order to achieve what kinds of benefits. And it's different from person to person. Yeah. I can't decide for anyone what risk they should take for what benefit they're going to get. And we do this all, all day, every day. We get into a car and drive to the market to get yeah. milk, which is inherent risk involved, but I need milk. So, and the risk yeah. is maybe low and I have a great seatbelt and airbag. I don't know. So I can't make decisions for people and, and the term risky is so subjective, you know, some, yeah. some, even with the VBAC and, and, and also how we process risk. So the risk that you asked about the uterine scar separation, if I say that the risk is one quarter of 1% for the average person, that to most people sounds like a low risk. Wait, I'll do that. One quarter of 1%. That means, you know, or one half of 1%. That means I got a 99.5% chance this is going to go okay. Um, but you could present the same thing by saying one in 200 chance. Yeah. That sounds like a higher risk, doesn't it? I know 200 people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. If you told me I had a one in 200 chance of winning a lottery, I'd already be spending the money. So. Yeah. <laughs> So it's also how you how you present yeah. the risk. Like if I don't really want you to do a VBAC, I might say, well, one in two hundred people, and it, you know, yeah, and, and it could, and then you know what could happen, and you could lose your baby, you could lose your uterus. Um, that would definitely make most people, you know, go yeah. for the repeat cesarean. Um, or you know, you could push it the other way if you're trying to get people to do. VBACs, but really what it behooves us to do is try to give you the data without opinion attached to it and let you consume the data in the most neutral way possible and for you to figure out what risks you want to take for what benefit and then for us to support those choices best we can. Yeah, that's such an important point about firstly, risk, of course, it's completely different for every person. And I always say to people, you know, I need to cross the street but there's always a risk that I could be hit by a car when I cross the street but the benefit usually 
outweighs that risk. I need to cross the street. And it's the same with everything and no judgment on anybody who sees that risk. And for them, it's too much. Like that's completely fair enough, right? Because as long as they've got it presented to them, as you said, in a, a kind of fair, impartial way, then they're making that that choice themselves, aren't they? I actually have a, a really good friend of mine. She had um, she had two cesareans and then she was pregnant with her third baby. And she was just kind of contemplating, you know, just seeing about whether she would maybe want to attempt to VBAC. And she spoke to her consultant and he said, and this is really bad because this is complete coercion. And I was so shocked when she told me that he he said something like, well, if you were my daughter, I would be telling you not to. <laughs> and to her, she hadn't, I don't think she'd thought about it in terms of how coercive that is. But of course, that him saying that made her think, oh, well, it must be so dangerous then. Like, I won't do it. And that was that. But that's, you know, that anything can be said to you at any point. There's there's a risk in everything. Yes, you could, you know, something bad could happen, but that's the same with everything in life. There's always a chance of something happening at all times. And it's just about working out the risk that that comes with that, but also the risks that come with the alternative, which in this case would be, of course, another cesarean. I think sometimes we focus so much on just one set of risks and don't look at the alternative set of risks, which of course there are as well. And sometimes they might be, you know, not as good for you, if you see what I mean, as as the first thought. So if you're happy to, I want to to talk to you a bit about these risks that come with cesarean and subsequent cesareans, because I, I sometimes get the impression that cesarean becomes a little bit glamorized and, you know, many people see it, I think, as a kind of easier option, which of course we know it, it isn't. And it comes, you know, it's major surgery. It comes with its own unique set of risks as well. So can we chat a bit about what those are and how they might be different after a cesarean already? And, you know, why it's important to consider those as well when planning your next birth? Absolutely. So um, your story is sort of interesting because uh, in in our film, there's two moms who have had two previous cesarean and now they're going for vaginal birth after two C-sections. And one of them, there's a lot of, her name's Jessica, very incredible woman, but uh, there's a lot of medical pressure on her, you know, manipulation, coercion. Um, And uh, it's very interesting to see how she handles that. But uh, I have... a patient who attempted a vaginal birth after six cesareans. Wow. And so this kind of goes to to your question that you just asked me. And her doctor, who she ended up having a, a seventh C-section, and the baby just never came down. But um, her doctor, when she when she asked for it, her doctor said, there is no data on this planet that will give me a fair analysis of what the risk is of VBAC after six C-sections versus a seventh cesarean. They're both riddled with risk more than obviously a VBAC after one or two or three or four or five. Yeah. 
um, or a C-section, a seventh C-section with each one, the risk goes up. He said, that's that's your choice. And unfortunately, we don't have the data on which to make that decision. Not that many people having seven no, kids hey. anymore, and certainly not that many attempting a VMAC after six C-sections. So, yeah, there's risk on both sides. One thing I think, so before I fully answer that question, I'll say this. When you go into have a repeat C-section, you do have... a some paperwork to fill out when you go in to do a vaginal birth after cesarean you have like two to three times as much paper to fill out and 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 it's all about you know liability and just constantly repeating the risk of this the risk of that the risk of the other thing so that's also sort of manipulative um on the flip side i think that an obstetrician who says if you were my daughter this is what i would do they generally mean that <laughs> yeah and they I'm don't sure. mean to be manipulative in 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 a bad way <laughs> um i think most people go into healthcare because they they care they want Absolutely. to give, they want to help people and so when doctors do that i don't i i don't mean to paint them as these sort of only self-interested manipulative you know evil parents um what they're generally doing is like this is what i would do for my wife this is what i do for my daughter and 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 this is what i think you should do too yeah but that needs to be balanced with but here are all the options and here are the pros and cons of all the options what do you want to do yeah exactly so and that that sometimes gets lost in translation look i i think that anybody would agree that a uncomplicated vaginal birth is better than an uncomplicated cesarean birth better for the mother better for the baby better for everybody but we can never guarantee anything will be uncomplicated um and birth does have its way of sort of um taking its own direction oftentimes um and sometimes you know the slippery slope of interventions you know the movie the business of being born sort of highlights Mm. how when you just start with one intervention it kind of opens the door for needing another one than another one. Yeah, it cascades, doesn't it? Yeah, the cascade of interventions. So, you know, and and because of that, birth becomes even more unpredictable in a way, um, even though we're controlling it more. So um, nobody can guarantee anything. I mean, when you have a cesarean, I've, I've seen this year a surprisingly large number of cesarean complications, um, whether it is infection is the number one thing that we're seeing or uh, hematomas or bleeding or, um, you know, things, things not fully removed, uh, injury to the uterus. Uh, I don't know why, just, just, I think a coincidental run of complications from cesarean. Um, and, I always end up feeling bad because some of these are people who I, I, I was like, well, why are you having a C-section? And I was just like, oh, my doctor said this will be, I already had one. So mm. I have another one. I have one right now. And she's like, she'll probably listen to this. She's about, I don't know, four months out and still having issues with her, with her scar, um, not healing properly. And, and her uterus not healing properly. She still has a uh, fluid coming out of it. So, um, that's one and and she's one of a few that just and another one that that i don't even want to get into why she had her doctor recommended a c-section but and she's like oh you've had other surgeries this will be just like those and it's not she's having a tough recovery from oh, her no. yeah um on, on the flip side sometimes people have a cesarean birth either because they want it or because they end up needing it for whatever reason and they have a great experience i have one right now who 
uh, was breech and she tried to have have her baby turn. She did everything to help that little baby turn. Baby didn't turn. She ended up doing a C-section and it was a lot better than she thought it was going to be. And now she's pregnant again with a healthy head down baby. But she's really conflicted. She's like, that went kind of easy for me. So, and it's what I already know. Maybe I'll just do it again. And that's all fine too. Um, the bottom line is there's, there's not really uh, any risk-free way to get a baby out of out of a person uh, it's a risk inherent in everything we do there's different risks some of them are more maternal oriented some of them are more baby oriented and some you have to look at at the incidents like what is what are the odds that these kind of things will happen mitigating factors like if you're going to do a feedback perhaps not inducing or certainly not heavily inducing um there's so many factors to consider in making these choices and um and again i always come back to that's why not just listening to stories but trying to gather the latest data the latest numbers on what are the actual non-opinionated non-emotional data when it comes to these decisions and then you could start you have a starting place on where you're gonna make your own choice the the c-section rate is so high as well i think it must be similar um, I know it's pretty high in the US, but I think it's we're about a third here. Yeah, I think we're, I think as is about that now. Um, and mm. I, I believe kind of per hospital over here, I think they aim like the, the aim is for around 15% C section rate, but obviously it's, it's pretty much double that. And from kind of what, what I, the research I've done and, and things like that, most of those come from subsequent c-sections right so once you've had one as we're saying it's more you know more than likely that a person will will pick to have another cesarean as well and so those things combined are what is pushing that rate up so high so how can we kind of I mean I guess just educate people and you know try and try and spread this this word about how VBACs people think they are so dangerous. And I think people hear that word VBAC or HBAC we have over here, obviously home birth after cesarean. And people feel very scared by that idea and gravitate quite naturally towards a cesarean being a kind of safer option. So educating people and, um, you know, making sure that they're aware of both sides is really important, isn't it? We have cesarean awareness month in uh, April. So um, we're launching a new series called empowered mama and the it's birth stories it's a sort of like talk show style birth stories and um the whole month of april we're doing cesarean stories so and and it's really also important for me to say that i'm not anti-cesarean i come out as anti-cesarean because (laughs) it's very not hard to get a cesarean if you want one Mm -hmm. so you don't really need to advocate for people that often to get a cesarean i have one story where I advocated for someone to get a cesarean, a young, strong, healthy woman who really medically did not need a C-section, probably would have been better off having a vaginal birth. But, and that's why her doctor was giving her a lot of resistance, but her mother uh, suffered injury from her vaginal birth that she never fully recovered from. And so on a psychological level, she just was not going there, period. And that's so I advocated for her too. That's your choice. Like in 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 today's day and age, you get to you get to choose and we support your choice. Even in that OB probably said something like, if you were my daughter, I'd recommend vaginal birth. Yeah. You know? 
but but it's not what she wanted and and it's not our choice to make for her so um i don't want to come across as anti cesarean i think it's the most incredible thing that we can do that safely today amazing yeah um, probably one of the only things worse than forcing a cesarean on someone who doesn't need one and doesn't want one is not having one available for someone who does need one. Uh, yes. One. Yeah. So, um, it's not, it's not about that, but I think that one of the things that bothered me, I have, I have two films that we made, uh, trial of labor about VBAC and heads up, which is about breach birth. One of the things that really bothered me in the past couple of years is how, I would get feedback through our platform where women would say, I really loved your movie, Trial of Labor. I wish I had seen it before I had my baby. Mm. And indeed, the women who share their very personal stories in our film are only doing so. The subtext, one of them told me, is this film is called Trial of Labor, but it could also be called How to Have Your Second Birth the First Time Around. Learn from our mistakes. Yeah. Learn from our mistakes. So... Um, it stabbed me in the heart every time someone told me, hey, I, I wish I would have seen it before I had my baby. I made it. We made it so that you could see it before you have your baby and yeah. be in a better place to make choices that will you'll be happy with afterwards. Um, and that's the whole reason we started Informed Pregnancy Plus. It's There's so many great films yeah. on so many important topics, vaginal birth, um, cesarean birth. You know, even just by the way, stillbirth and yeah. um and miscarriage, like conversations that need to be happening and resources that need to be accessible and available easily and inexpensively. And that's why I just decided to essentially have one more baby, which is informed pregnancy plus, because that's what it feels like. It's sucking up a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh time, energy, resource. Um, I'm not sleeping at night. It's like we have a newborn. But it's working. The feedback now yeah. is that our film, The Business of Being Born, Orgasmic Birth, The Mama Sherpa's Breast Milk, and a whole bunch of meditations for different stages of labor, yoga, exercise, are coming together in a way where no matter where you are, you can have access to these things, and and they're within very affordable reach for most people. And if they're not, then we'll, we just give it away anyway, because I don't want anybody to not have this type of access. If we want to reduce the cesarean rate, it sort of has to start with the primary C-section. Why are people having C-sections? For the most part, a very tiny percentage are elective, where somebody mm. says, I want to have a cesarean birth. Um, and the overwhelming majority are surprised by it that's not what they're aiming for um i think that when you look at the business of being bored the cascade effect of interventions yeah. that's something really important to study um being empowered birth is very hormonal it's driven by the hormone oxytocin which is a very sensitive hormone you can't i always i always observations of a male doula right i've been to a lot yeah. of birth yeah i always say that um conception and delivery are very parallel it's yeah. the same anatomy and physiology the baby yeah. anatomically goes in and comes out the same way and it's driven by oxytocin if you had to pick a setting to conceive in <laughs> yeah right for the best conception ever what would your animalistic uh sort of instincts choose for that setting 
Um, yeah. I doubt it would be wearing an oversized unisex hospital muumuu <laughs> with spotlights on you and uh, random people coming. Loads of people, yeah, <laughs> and just weird things coming out of your body. Um, I don't even know if you'd be able to do it. Yeah, no. that's exactly what your body's seeking for birth. And instead, we have this totally opposite environment that makes your nervous system feel like you're in danger, like you're being chased by a tiger. And that is not a great place to birth from. Not to say you can't have a great hospital birth, but but if you're going to have those stimuli around you, you certainly have to do something to mitigate those stimuli being around you. And um, that's where I think hypnobirthing that you offer is incredible. Uh, doula support can be really incredible. Changing the scenery a little bit in in our hospitals, they don't really care what you wear. They're gonna give you that that death gown, um, <laughs> but uh, right for birth. But uh, you can wear whatever you want. You can wear yeah. you know sporty clothing if that makes you feel powerful. You can wear comfortable like evening wear if that. You could wear anything a, a sundress if it makes you feel beautiful. And, and you don't have to get into the bed. You don't have to to get into the bed like a patient, like a sick person, because there's actually nothing wrong at that point you know you're just you're just in labor it's completely normal physiological function of your body and I think we're so you know the things we see on tv and and things like that it just completely sways how we act doesn't it because if you don't know any different then you just do what you see and what you see is typically very negative and all the same type of thing so yeah the the fact that you've got this platform that has so many amazing videos and documentaries and, and content on there that where people can see like you know how it can be it doesn't have to be that negative you know hospital way yeah and and it could be uh positive at home it could be positive in the hospital yeah you could labor at home for a long time and then go to the hospital um there's so many different options i really liked in um one of the episodes i was listening to of your podcast you had a really great analogy and i wrote it down because i was like i want to bring this up on this podcast because i thought it was so right where you were talking about obviously the the narrative around birth and what we see on television and things like that and how people are in sort of intrinsically quite scared of birth because of the way that it's portrayed and you said you know if every single um thing you'd ever seen about flying in a plane was that that plane mm-hmm. was was crashing to the floor then you would be terrified to get on an airplane and it's exact it's so true and i really loved it and i thought well, how true is that is if we had never experienced being on a, an airplane before but yet all we had ever seen was that they they fell out the sky. No mm-hmm. one would want to get on one, right? And right. it's so similar with birth. Like that's what we see. That's what we get told is that it is this very scary, painful, horrible experience where women typically feel very out of control. So of course, like who's not going to dread that? That sounds horrible. It, it's normal, right? To feel that way towards it. But it's, that just isn't the case. That's a very, very small part of birth and it's a very it's the worst part of birth that's being shown hopefully there's kind of you know we're getting to a point where there's some alternative views that we can look at and we can go onto youtube and we can search positive positive birth video and there's lots on there that we can look at but it's it's understandable to see why we are where we are basically totally 
<laughs> and and that's I think in large part contributing to the primary C-section. Then once you have one, of course, it's very hard to find support for a vaginal birth after that. So you know if we can if we can sort of decrease the primary cesarean experience by improving and empowering the general birth experience, then I think the numbers will go down pretty dramatically. But um, that's that's a big effort. Uh, I think that one of my favorite podcasts of mine is the one is a two part series with Hillary Duff before and after her second uh, birth. So uh, she was 21 years old with her first. She had already been working for 10 years. It made sense for her to have a baby at that point, but she was young. She didn't have any friends having babies. She'd never seen a birth. She, she didn't have siblings having, like she, no exposure to pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum at all. And um, she was terrified of it. So she planned a C-section, even though she was very young, strong, fit and healthy and, and very smart. Um, and I think it was her psychic who said, maybe let the baby choose how he wants to come out of you. And so she rethought it and she decided to do the hospital birth with all the drugs. And she had a great experience. Five years later, pregnant with her second, she realized that the moments in life that mattered to her the most that were worth living are when she's present with her son. It doesn't even matter what they're doing. They could be doing mundane things like homework or dinner. They could be doing big things like birthdays and milestones. But the more present she was with him, the more amazing that moment was, the more memorable that moment would become. And uh, then she had this thought, like, what if giving birth is the most insanely present thing I can yeah. do with my child? We sometimes forget that it's the two of you working together, right? Um, and I'm afraid of it. So I'm just numbing myself to the process completely. And, uh, because of that, she started to open her mind. Maybe let me see. I don't love pain. I'm not good with pain, but maybe I, I can experience this and I can get through it. And I, I, I want to feel it. So with some fear and trepidation about the intensity of it all, she decided to go unmedicated. And she also knows herself well enough to know that if she was at the hospital, she'd probably fold and have the drugs. So she explored uh, midwifery and home, home birth. And that's what she decided to do. I interviewed her what turned out to be 10 days before she went into labor and had that baby. And wow. she talks about like her very real, and she's so open and such a great story to her very real concerns about the intensity and how am I going to handle this? She wasn't really concerned about uh, medical issues because she was surrounded by a very professional yeah. team of healthcare providers, but, and she trusts her body and she trusts her baby, but um, she was concerned about the bigness of it, the intensity, the pain. How am I going to, yeah. am I going to settle into that and relax into that? And she had all these plans for what, what might help get her through. And then she did it and she had a great experience. And so we interviewed her 10 days afterwards. And it was very kind of interesting for her to say what actually was helpful to her wow. and versus what she thought would be helpful to yeah. her. Um, but one of my favorite things is she talks about how her, her intensity was building as labor progressed and her conscious mind, she felt her conscious mind saying, whoa, this is getting big. This is getting big. This is getting so big. I don't think I don't see a logical way how this is going to continue. We can't make it to the finish line. And just at, there was a moment where, you know, she felt herself caving into that. And then her conscious mind shut off. Wow. And she settled into the 
incredible wisdom of innate intelligence that's hardwired into every single woman. And there was no question that this could happen. And and then it happened. Uh, and then, spoiler alert, she has her third baby at home with the midwife as well. I remember so, I remember seeing those photos that she uh, she posted of her third birth, which oh, was at home. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. That what an incredible story and so accurate. It, it it's that part of our mind, isn't it? That conscious part that's constantly trying to protect us in a way, but not necessarily about things that we need protect, you know, we don't need protecting from from giving birth, do we? But it's about learning to switch that off and relax into it. And we're having over in the UK at the moment, we're having a bit of an an issue where a lot of hospital trusts are um, temporarily suspending gas and air use. So um, because of ventilation issues in the hospitals and things like that. So I've had a lot of people, actually, people that I know personally, but also clients and people that, that just follow me that have messaged really quite worried about the fact that they're now facing giving birth without gas and air, which they were relying on. If they've had a baby before, they might have used it a lot before in their labor. And so now they're quite worried. And, and similar to, I guess, what you were just saying about Hilary Duff's story is that it wasn't so much the the medical aspect of giving birth that is worrying these people. It's the that worry about the, the pain that it might cause and how are they going to manage their way through that. And yeah, you know, if you've given birth before, then you might have a something to you know, you have a point, don't you, where you can relate it to, you've you've been through it before. But if you've never given birth before, then the only thing that you're you're kind of relying on for the fact that it's going to be painful is what we see and what we hear from other people, in which case that's not really to be trusted, is it? What we, you know, what we see and hear um, from others about childbirth doesn't really mean anything for for us. We're going to experience it completely differently. But it's interesting that you know, we we know this, and, and myself as a hypnobirthing teacher, I try to, you know, tell people that don't worry too much about that side. Just focus on focus on your mind, like focus on your headspace. And if you're in a good space mentally in approaching your birth, then the chances are you you might not feel like you need it anyway. So you know, focusing on that aspect and uh, you know your your, your subconscious and, and really putting the work into relaxing and breathing and things like that can can really help but from what yeah from from what I hear from people at the moment a lot of their fear comes from the perceived pain idea of childbirth you know again observations of a male doula when you watch somebody in labor who's fearful and can't control that fear at all um it's it's like you're in danger your body's hyper alert anything that feels like it could be dangerous it just gets multiplied and magnified by the time it reaches your brain and uh, seems intolerable uh and when you watch the same person however they get there uh all of a sudden settle into relax into their labor and feel safe in their labor now all of a sudden it's not like there's no pain i i I don't really see that very often but i see uh where the pain is tolerable the pain is not going to overwhelm me. The pain is not harming me or my baby. Yeah. And you can breathe into it and relax into it. And you start to feel some of it as not pain, but pressure. And then maybe even at some point pleasure. And then you can focus your spotlight where you want to more in the pleasure with the pain in the background versus having the pain completely drown out any sense of pleasure. Um, and that's what the film Orgasmic Birth is all about. It's a film that was made 15 years ago, but is more 
it it's it's such a brilliant mix of of practitioners and researchers explaining why this is possible and how it works and then uh, a bunch of courageous uh, couples who share their their sort of ecstatic birth stories and um it, it's it's that using hypnosis to be able to kind of control your mind and 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 put those those neocortex fears and analyses um, to rest in a filing cabinet where you can close a drawer and let that hardwired intelligence that took a sperm and an egg and made a human being out of it uh, complete the process yeah. uh, it is, is again, observationally just be, being honored and privileged to witness that uh, so many times it's, it's, you can't really describe it, but, but, if you can get rid of fear, go out of fight or flight mode and get into the more parasympathetic mode of operation of your nervous system, it is night and day. There is no comparison. I had, um, I had somebody actually, she, she's a friend, but she came onto the podcast to talk about her. She was induced twice and she talked about her first induction experience, which was really quite um, negative for her. She actually ended up being quite out of it for her for her birth and doesn't remember actually giving birth um, oh, and things like that. No. So, so second time she, she was induced again. She actually had preeclampsia, which was the reasons why she was induced both times. But she, um, she talks about how, you know, we have, there's all this fear built up in our minds about particularly um, like the ring of fire and things like that. And she says that she felt like she remembers feeling like she fe remembers feeling his head crowning and she remembers just thinking this is like, amazing I can feel it and she just loved that moment where yeah it was probably uncomfortable for her but she felt so empowered by the fact that she could feel everything that her body was doing and how incredible that felt because she'd had that experience prior to having not felt anything and I know so many people that I've taught have come and said I've listened to that episode and I love like I love that part that really inspired me to you know and perhaps numbed some of the fears that I have around that that potential pain is just kind of changing your perspective on it and looking at it as how empowering how amazing that your body is doing this and that you are able to be present in that moment and to feel it it's it's incredible and, and a much more positive way of looking at it. Yes, absolutely. It's um, I just recently had a couple of episodes of people who wanted to feel it and they weren't sure why they wanted to feel it so badly. And then they realized that that two people in particular, that things had happened that made them numb their 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 feelings. Um, and one of them, as the intensity built up and built up and, and and I keep asking her, I'm like, is that the intensity you were looking for? And she's like, no, not yet. And then it built up even more and it was becoming intolerable. I'm like, is that the intensity you were looking for? She's like, no, not yet. And it wasn't, she ended up getting epidural. And then uh, the intensity that happened after that was emotional intensity. Wow. And the love that came in from, because, you know, she had wanted to do it unmedicated and her partner and her, her nurse and her doula just standing with her and supporting her and comforting her and telling her how, how powerful she is. And uh, it, it just, she unleashed a storm of tears um, like a river. And that was what she needed to feel. It was that, yeah. uh, that 
that yeah. sensation that she was craving in her case. Uh, and the other one was uh, different, but similar. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, they say with, you know, your first birth, there's two births going on at the same time, the birth of a baby and the birth mm-hmm. of a mother. And that's it. You sometimes see it that big. And, and there's a reason, I don't know, you know, there's a reason why birth is intense. It's not supposed to be a quiet, uh, totally yeah. calm moment. There's intensity there for a reason. And, um, and you sometimes just see the power it has to, to, to change you as a, as a person into a mom and into your, your next chapter. And, uh, when you see that and really any way you do it, you're all heroes to me, um, for how the sacrifices you make growing humans inside your body and somehow bringing them out. None of them look easy. Um, and then feeding them and raising them. It's just an insane and incredible, but you know, I think in today's day and age, women are realizing that, you've been deliberately scared into giving over all of your autonomy about how you give birth and uh, starting to do the research and and do the work necessary to take that empowerment back. Okay. So I I just want to finish really by asking you, how can women prepare themselves for a VBAC? So if that is something that they are looking towards with their next birth, you know, maybe they've just had a cesarean, but they, you know, want to think about in the future, possibly uh, having a VBAC or maybe they're they're pregnant already. What what could they do to best kind of prepare themselves and give themselves, I guess, the best chance at achieving one? So I think the, the most important thing is to find a provider who you're on the same page with, who is aware of your intentions and your desires and your plans for birth and uh, who supports them and not just tolerates them, but supports them. Same with the facility where you give birth. Uh, that is, I think, the number one way to have an empowered birth, no matter what kind, and especially if you're trying to have a vaginal birth or even more so a vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, outside of that, I, you know, I think it's just about preparing your mind and body in a way that you're not giving birth in fear. And sometimes if, if we said that vaginal birth is a scary experience because of lack of exposure to normal physiological birth or over dramatization as the only exposure that people tend to get, then, um, doing things to help calm your mind, like maybe visit your local, uh, hypnobirthing, uh, practitioner, you know, uh, t- teacher, uh, anything that, that works for you for, for calming your mind and uh, letting your body do its thing. Um, I think those are probably the two, uh, the two biggest things. And it's, uh, it's about vaginal birth in general, and especially about VBAC. Once you make that choice, I think it's important to, to assess the pros and cons and see where you really want to be. But once you make that choice, you, you kind of have to, it, it, it's, dangerous almost if your practitioner is not on board with you because if you're fighting them them or they're just tolerating you and not really supportive then in the moment when they say hey we have to go do this intervention now or or another cesarean you you may not trust them and then you that's not a good time to be at odds and and trying to figure out is this really necessary or not so the right practitioner is by far the the most important thing in my mind Thank you. That's that's really good advice. That stuff like that can be quite tricky for um for UK people because we don't often get a lot of choice in who supports us. You can definitely request different people, you know, if you don't if you have a, a consultant that perhaps you don't align, you know, your views don't align, 
you could probably request somebody else whether there would be anybody else available it, it, you know is is different so it's um it can sometimes be a little bit trickier here because obviously we're you know we are we're publicly funded so we have probably a, a slightly different way of doing things but definitely you can I always say to people you there will be people that you can find that can help you you know there's so many amazing people on an Instagram that are UK based that are you know that are birth activists you know they are there flying the flag encouraging people to you know perhaps go down a, a more private midwife route or you know independent midwife route if the, the hospital aren't aren't kind of seeing you know your um your goal of what you want to achieve um Thank you so much. Can you let people know where people can find you, where they can come and follow you, listen to your podcast, all of those things? Sure. Um, everything's at informedpregnancy.com. Uh, social media, I'm most active on Instagram, at Dr. Berlin, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N. And for the streaming platform, Informed Pregnancy Plus, anybody can try it for free. Most of the content is available worldwide. And uh, it's at informedpregnancy.tv, informedpregnancy.tv. And we also have apps for Informed Pregnancy Plus on Apple, Android, and Roku. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been so interesting to talk to you. I know people will find it fascinating. And um, I encourage people to, to go and seek you out on your other platforms because um, from my research into you, it's been really interesting. So I'll definitely be um, continuing to listen to you and um, having a look at your streaming platform as well. I would at some point love to talk to you about breach birth. Maybe, I'll be back. Maybe in the future. I really yes, would love to. I could I talk to you forever. I wanted You're... to today, but there's there's not we we don't have all day, unfortunately. <laughs> no, well, we could definitely come back and do it again. Um, you're 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 amazing, and the work that you're doing is incredible, uh -huh. and and I appreciate you for that, and I appreciate you for having me. Thank you so much, you too, and uh, yeah, it's been lovely to speak to you. So thank you so much. <laughs>